So, okay, now let's talk about entangled quantum informed prayer. This really has to do with uh, understanding what this prayer thing is and how do we incorporate it into our lives with our current cosmology, which no longer has God up there, but God everywhere. Came across a quote, I think it was in the devotional uh, reading this week. Um, the, The center of God is everywhere, and the circumference of God is nowhere. Any of you come on that? That's pretty good, and that is a very panentheistic way uh, to think. What we're really trying to do is get away from this kind of God, where we, we're calling up to God to basically grant our wishes. Uh, that's, a, that's an antiquated model and really robs ourselves and God of God's fullness. So to help us get into this, I have a new voice for you to hear. Uh, may, well, maybe I've featured her one other time. Uh, her name is Monica Coleman. Uh, she's an African-American religion scholar. Uh, she's got her own amazing story. Part of her, she really has two huge thrusts that she is known for uh, in the academic world. One is uh, she is a process theologian herself, but two, she's also a big advocate for mental health. She herself uh, has, is bipolar and uh, struggles with that and has integrated her theology and prayer life around that, uh, and she's, she's delightful. So this was a clip from a, a seminar that she gave, a webinar, and just about five minutes talking about uh, how prayer works in this paradigm of, of uh, process theology. So here we go. What is prayer? What is prayer if God isn't making things happen? And if God is calling everyone all the time, and if God is everywhere all the time? Well, this is what I think it is. I think that prayer is about helping us to hear that call, right? The call's always coming. And most of the time, we're probably not even thinking about it, right? We're just off, la-di-da, do-do-do, doing our own thing. And so prayer is making sure we can actually hear that. So I think that whether you call God God or think of God as God or name God as God, that God is still hanging out in the world, offering us novelty, offering us newness, hoping people will choose justice, right? Hoping people will choose the common good thing. Come on, y'all, let's create more beauty. Let's make the world a better place. Let's leave the world better than we found it. And whether we name that as God, I think there's this force. Some people even name it as creativity. I think there are all types of ways we can name it, but there's always this part that's saying, come on. You know, if you watch those old school cartoons, there used to be like a little red guy on the shoulder and a little white guy on the shoulder, right? And then the character would be like, pluck the white guy. I'm gonna go do what the red guy says. But then of course the little guys pop back up on the shoulder. Y'all remember these old school cartoons, right? So. Whether we name them as little red and white guys or devils or God, right? But this is always this kind of, but it shows that agency that's there, right? That ability to say no. But that little white angel pops up and like, hey, you know what the right thing to do is. That's, some people call it your conscience. It, there are all ways that we can name it, but this always this kind of call. But again, are we paying attention to it? Are we trying to tune into it? So I think prayer is one way in which we try to, hear that. God's always calling, but I'm trying to hear you. I'm really trying to pay attention. It matters to me to try to be intentional, to do what I think God is telling me to do, to try to hear God. Or I could just not, and I could kind of haphazardly maybe just continue to do what I've always done, or maybe stumble (laughs) into something cool or something new. But if I'm trying to orient myself towards noticing God in people, 
hearing God? What might be those tones of justice and beauty in this situation, in this context? Then that's prayer. So it's a different way of thinking about prayer, but it's partly to structure how we hear, how we, in, how we attune to things, how we pay attention to things. Well, then one of the questions somebody has asked is, well, then is it all on me? Like, is it all on us, on humanity, to make stuff happen, to make my own life happen, let alone to make the world happen? Oh, God, no, thank God. Phew, no, it's not, right? <laughs> we have agency, but we don't have that much agency, right? We, I like to think, in a process sense, we think that God's like, well, let's, let's work together here. Let's partner together. We use words like co-create the world we want to have. Let's be intentional, like, you know, so instead of thinking of God as like the big Lord that's up there, that may, that doles out good things and bad things, depending on if God likes us or not, right? We might think of God instead as a partner, as a friend, as a co-creator, right? Someone we're working with. God's working with us. We're working with God. That's why I really like the way the Gospel of John talks about friendship, God as being a friend, Right, where Jesus says, I don't call you servants, I call you friends. Now, if you have friends, it's not like friendship is automatic. Like you gotta nurture friendships, you gotta ride with your friends, right? Friends are gonna do stuff you're like, that was not cool. And you gotta kinda like get over it. <laughs> and sometimes you'll do stuff that's not cool, or you just kinda neglect it because it's not important to you at some point, and then they're still hanging with you. It's not like friendship is some like know nothing thing. Like it's a whole thing. Right. So what if I like that image, right? I like that this is the image that at least this description of what Jesus is saying is. Like, I'm not calling you servants. I'm calling you friends. Like, we're abiding in each other. Like, you and me, me and you, God and us, us and God. And uses this language of vine and branches. But to say, like, hey, maybe this is more of that kind of relationship, a vine-branches relationship, than a king-servant relationship. So it wouldn't all be on us. Is that like, hey, we're trying to work together here. God's like, I, you know, one of my friends has, not my friends, one of my former professors says, you know, we are the hands and feet of God, right? Like God's like, I need you to be out here doing stuff, <laughs> you know, out here seeking justice and standing up for what's right and being loving and being kind. Like that's part of what, you know, you're supposed to do. We're like, okay, great. And so what I need you guys to do is to help inspire and to make it happen and to open some doors. These are kind of conversations I have with God. Like I do my part, you do your part, right? Then we'll be good. So what if that's the way we might think about how it happens? But is it all on God? Oh, if only it were. And it's not like I don't wish it were all on God. It just doesn't seem to be, right? We look out there and people are out here making selfish decisions, hoarding power, hoarding resources. They are using their freedom and agency in all types of ways that do not seem to be good for the most people. And we're like, well, clearly it's not all on God because we're out here, not we, the collective, using our agency in all types of problematic ways, right? So it's not all on God because some might heed God's call and some might not. But the cool thing, of course, is that some do. And there are times when we're like, yeah, I see this happening. I, I, I peep you, God. I see how you're using us. You're using this person. Or you're, you're in this, this situation, situation and making light and, light and glory and fulfillment and, and you know, you know happen. happen. I, I, I see that. that. So, so it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a kind of tunis, you might say. It's a both and. It's not all on us, which is good because I don't think we've got this. But it's not all on God because God's like, yo, I can't just make stuff happen. 
because I hope it happens because I want it to happen. Like y'all, y'all have real agency. So in the ideal sense, we're working together. So I really like her tone and her uh, attitude and I'll feature her a little bit more as we go. I came across this quote, I think in our reading this week, uh, but maybe it was somewhere else. Uh, so there are two types of people in this world, those who are in relationship with God and know it, and those who are in relationship with God and don't. And so we as a faith community, we are uh, recognizing that we're, we, we think that we are a part of something bigger, and we call that something bigger, that thisness, that isness, God. And however you call that and understand that, there are hundreds of words in the Bible itself uh, to describe God. Um, that's, that's who we're trying to interact with and sense uh, with. And we understand in our theology that, uh, that God is everywhere all the time and that the primary characteristic of God is loving. And because the primary characteristic of God is loving, that means that God is not controlling us like pawns. God is not controlling everything on the board. Sometimes it feels like that. I'm sure there have been times when you prayed real hard and it worked out. And it was like, you, in retrospect, you're like, oh my gosh, God was moving things around here. There's no way that could have happened with God's, with God's sovereignty at work. And the truth is, yeah, God was absolutely at work. But the other truth is that there were probably a hundred different ways and times that that same thing could have happened and maybe could have even happened earlier. This we don't have the capacity to see it. But now and again, things are so aligned. We see God move so much. We're saying yes. Others are saying yes. Nature's saying yes. Everything is aligned with what, is, what God is trying to woo us toward in beauty. And when that all co coalesces, it's a thing to behold. It's almost like magic. It's like people show up at the right time. You ask the right question at the right time and doors open. All kinds of, we call them God, some call them God winks. Some call them God moments. God breaking in, but God's really not breaking in. It's a perspective thing. Does that make any sense at all? No. Okay, fine. Let's just go on to the next, uh, let's go on to the next uh, slide. So this is a great uh, $20 word for you. If the teleology, which really is about the purposeness of the universe, is aimed at beauty, then our quest to bring greater beauty to the world challenges texts that encourage oppression and marginalization. Now this is an excellent insight that Bruce Epperly gives us in the reading this week because the hate sign that's up on Browns Valley Road is a Bible verse. And it says, hate what God's, God hates and has Proverbs under there, so we all know it's from the Bible. Some people have weaponized the Bible just like this, and they've weaponized it in different ways over the centuries, picking usually on people who are more vulnerable than they are. That's how power works. And so what we need to realize is that if we're people of the book, like our Jewish ancestors are, and we come from a Baptist tradition, which gives us the freedom to interpret the Bible as we want, but Baptists are people of the book. Uh, the Bible is the biggest deal uh, in the Baptist tradition and the freedom to interpret that as we wish. So some people say, well, I don't care what Pastor Pete says. I'm just going to stick to the Bible. Well, you got a problem because the Bible offers multiple avenues in terms of how to understand and relate to God. And some of them, which have been weaponized, are ugly and hateful. And what Epperly's saying here is this has to be a part of our hermeneutic, another $20 word, our approach to understanding the Bible and applying it forward. Uh, how do we decide? 
What are those things in antiquity that are clearly uh, influenced by their cultural context and what they'd experienced? And therefore, of course, you see the hatred spewing out. But does that mean that's what God is endorsing? Even if the Bible itself is saying, thus saith the Lord. That's part of our responsibility uh, in this era, is to recognize that the Bible uh, was not written by God. Uh, it was definitely, God was in the mix, as God is in the mix with everything, uh, but not in a controlling way. So the humanity and even some of the ugliness of humanity are gonna show up. Uh, this all goes to this idea of uh, one of the reasons why we've kind of lost uh, some things. Alfred North Whitehead, who is credited with really developing this thing we call process theology, which is under the umbrella of open and relational theology, which we operate on around here. Um, he primarily did his work in the early uh, 20th century uh, in process theology and process philosophy. And he kind of blew off uh, theology altogether. Didn't really care, thought it was completely irrelevant. This is at a time when uh, Christian fundamentalism uh, really started to take root in the United States, and it was uh, very black and white, and you were in or you were out, you had to ascribe to this, and if you didn't, then God wanted nothing to do with you, and you were going to fry and all this. And I, I think Whitehead could just say, I, I just can't make sense of this. And then World War I hit, and his son went to war, and he didn't come back. And it was the pain and the agony of losing his son that caused him to start thinking through what is the nature of reality. And process philosophy was born. And what he recognized, Whitehead recognized 100 years ago, was that the church at that time had lost focus of what he calls the Galilean vision. He's talking about Jesus. He's saying the church that we're seeing in operation today, which we could say is still somewhat true today, doesn't look much like Jesus. Kind of reminds me of what Buddha said. Uh, Buddha said, I love your Jesus, but I don't love the Christians. <laughs> if the Christians would look more like Jesus, I'd maybe be, I would have become a Christian. I mean, they literally said that. And so we need to wrestle with that uh, all the while, which means we're constantly in process ourselves. So John Cobb, who really took the baton and uh, really has been the, really the, one of the chief people to put out this way of thinking in the last 50 years. He says, because I believe in God, I find it supremely important to reconsider and doubt my belief. And because God is of ultimate importance, how we think of God deeply affects how we live. Every misunderstanding of God reflects itself in a misdirection of human energy. So powerful. That's why I wanted you to answer the question, you know, how are you told to address God or what did you hear? And if one of those names was Father, well, that comes with all kinds of baggage with it, doesn't it? It's male for one, it's probably authoritarian for another, or maybe the way that prayer was uh, introduced to you is Almighty God. Well, what if Almighty God isn't a biblical concept? It's not, by the way, in the way that we understand that. Uh, that word, the omnipotence of God, that way of thinking that we think of today did not exist in the biblical era. They didn't think about it that way. How we think and how we speak dictates our attitudes and our behaviors. It's, it really does. That's why we pay attention 
uh, to phrases in our culture uh, that are more and more inclusive. It's why when we can here, uh, we use inclusive language and try to use it in our songs. Uh, occasionally we have to realize that the biblical writers didn't always do that, but where they did, we want to emphasize that because the more male that we think God is, uh, that's going to carry throughout in all kinds of damaging ways to women. And now we have other ways of addressing each other that are important. And the reason why these are important, it's not that the PC police are coming and we got to be careful with that. No, it's different than that. We do it as a way of saying that we have a broader world than maybe we've considered before. And therefore, we need to use language that reflects that. Because if we don't, the old language will inform our behavior as it did in the past. And that means we're just on a repeat cycle forevermore. So to that end, in terms of how we think about things, like if you think that God is in total control and God is responsible for all the good and bad things in your life, that becomes a problem. And so this particular uh, author, Patricia Adams Farmer, she had a great quote that showed up in a reading this week. You can blame God for this horrible curse, making God into some kind of monster who does wicked things such as this. She was speaking about multiple sclerosis. Or you could let go of those worn-out images of the divine and help God weave something novel of your life as it is. For God is the gentle weaver who works with each all-matched thread to bring about novel patterns of meaning and hope. God doesn't cause the awful things that happen in our lives, but God is there to help us integrate them, uh, to metabolize them, uh, to see that everything is already there in your life. And as Richard Rohr wrote a whole book about it, everything belongs there. Which doesn't mean that it was put there by somebody, but it's part of your life. And God can take all of that stuff and help create a beautiful stew <laughs> in spite of the pain. And that's part of the beauty of this process that we're in is the agony and the ugliness that we have been through doesn't need to continue uh, to hold sway over us. So this is all part of this attunement idea of prayer. So we're no longer thinking just exclusively or uh, putting up our wish list into uh, the ether and hoping that somebody's out there to do something with it. We recognize that we are in relationship with a greater thing that is going on. We're constantly being forward and called into a new way of thinking and prayer then is our way of intentionality, of being open to love, which is always already there. What is love calling us to do? So we get a couple examples from Scripture, and I'm not going to go too deep into these. I just want you to see them uh, because these are two different moments where uh, people are encouraged to attune themselves uh, to the work of Spirit, which is an act of prayer. If our lives are to be continual acts of prayer, then these give us examples. One comes right after the text we looked at last week where Jesus is talking about we're not gatekeepers, we're gate openers for the love and grace of God. And so at that point, uh, Peter got up there, got, got up the nerve to ask, Master, how many times do I forgive a brother or sister who hurts me? Seven? Because that was kind of the rule of thumb at the time. Jesus replied, seven? Hardly. Try 70 times seven. And Peter was really bummed at that point that he even asked the question. <laughs> the kingdom of God, he gives a parable, the kingdom of God is like a king who decided to square accounts with his servants. 
As he got underway, one servant was brought before him who had run up a debt of $100,000. He couldn't pay up, so the king ordered the man, along with his wife, children, and goods, to be auctioned off at the slave market. The poor, wretched, the poor wretch threw himself at the king's feet and begged, Give me a chance and I'll pay it all back. Touched by his plea, the king let him off, erasing the debt. The servant was no sooner out of the room when he came upon one of his fellow servants who owed him $10. He seized him by the throat and demanded, pay up now. And the poor wretch threw himself down and begged, give me a chance and I'll pay it all back. But he wouldn't do it. He had him arrested and put in jail until the debt was paid. When the other servants saw this going on, they were outraged and brought a detailed report to the king. The king summoned the man and said, You evil servant, I forgave your entire debt when you begged me for mercy. Shouldn't you be compelled to be merciful to your fellow servant who asked for mercy? The king was furious and put the, the screws to the man who, until he paid back his entire debt. And that's exactly what my Father in heaven is going to do to each one of you who doesn't forgive unconditionally anyone who asks for mercy. Now, what I want to say here, give a quick little disclaimer here. Uh, some of you are in incredibly, maybe, or who are listening, you know, in the broader uh, audience, uh, are in very difficult, uh, even abusive situations. This is not talking about that. This is not staying in an abusive environment or relationship, uh, especially if that person is saying, well, you're a Christian, you're supposed to forgive me. <laughs> uh, that's sick and dark, and you need to talk to somebody to get out of that, uh, or to correct it, or to boundary it. Jesus is simply talking about a way of being in the world that is still to this day counterintuitive. Uh, we are an eye for an eye culture, but not in the good justice way. We're an eye for an eye culture in the sense of you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back right up to the limit and probably more if I can help it. We see this in the vitriolic uh, messaging of our wonderful leading politicians in our country who can't seem to get this into their head. Uh, we see this in family systems. We see this in middle school. We see this everywhere. And we are called to something different. We are called to be the people of love and mercy. So how are we doing that? So just want to take pause and ask the question, is there any instance in your life right now where your knee-jerk reaction is to want to take a swing back, to fight back as you've been fought? And can you listen just a little bit if that is what the Spirit is also calling you to do? Or if there might be a more merciful, redemptive way to approach whatever that situation is. That's one of the things I liked. If you saw the KPIX interview uh, with Tracy, uh, the guy who's behind uh, this stuff, he and his partner uh, are the ones who live in Browns Valley and wanted to get this thing going. As he made it clear in his interview, that if you fight hate with hate, it only adds to the hate. But if you fight hatred with love, that's really the only thing uh, that we have hope in for transformation. That's what Jesus is getting at here. Well, there was another scene uh, that I want you to just hear briefly, and it's a few slides, but it tells a story about what's going on in the Roman church. And remember I told you last week that this church in Rome that Paul hadn't even visited yet, 
uh, was deeply divided. Uh, two different competing theologies. You had one coming from a Gentile, which is a non-Jewish orientation, uh, which viewed the world very differently and what you were allowed to do with your life, and those who were coming from a more conservative Jewish tradition, who were trying to hold fast to some of their Jewish roots and expressing faith even while believing uh, in this new way of Jesus. And so Paul's speaking into this, and he's kind of telling them uh, how to live their lives, which is all about attunement. So here we go. He says to them, Welcome with open arms fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with, even when it seems that they are strong on opinions but weak in the faith department. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. For instance, a person who has been around for a while might well be convinced that he can eat anything on the table while another with a different background might assume all Christians should be vegetarians and eat accordingly. But since both are guests at Christ's table, wouldn't it be terribly rude if they fell to criticizing what the other ate or didn't eat? God, after all, invited them both to the table. Do you have any business crossing people off the guest list or interfering with God's welcome? If there are corrections to be made uh, or manners to be learned, God can handle that without your help. Or say one person thinks that some days should be set aside as holy and another thinks that each day is pretty much like any other. There are good reasons either way. So each person is free to follow the convictions of conscience. What's important in all this is that if you keep a holy day, keep it for God's sake. If you eat meat, eat it to the glory of God and thank God for prime rib. <laughs> if you're a vegetarian, eat vegetables to the glory of God and thank God for broccoli. None of us are permitted to insist on our own way in these matters. It's God we are answerable to, all the way from life to death and everything in between, not each other. That's why Jesus lived and died and then lived again, so that he could be our master across the entire range of life and death and free us from the petty tyrannies of each other. So where does that leave you when you criticize a brother? And where does that leave you when you condescend to a sister? I'd say it leaves you looking pretty silly, or worse. Eventually, we're all going to end up kneeling side by side in the place of judgment facing God. Your critical and condescending ways aren't going to improve your position there one bit. Read it for yourself in Scripture. As I live and breathe, God says, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will tell the honest truth that I and only I am God. So tend to your knitting. You've got your hands full just taking care of your own life before God. Forget about deciding what's right for each other. Here's what you need to be concerned about, that you don't get in the way of someone else making life more difficult than it already is. I'm convinced, Jesus convinced me that everything as it is in itself is holy. We, of course, by the way we treat it or talk about it, can contaminate it. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for all, for the scriptures say, as surely as I live, say the Lord, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me, and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each one of us will give a personal account to God, so let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. 
Now, there's some theological positions in this that Paul is articulating that I don't particularly find compelling or terribly relevant anymore. I'm not particularly motivated by the judgment call. I think that's, that's fear-oriented. I think it's fear is a very powerful tool. And in Paul's theology, he thought that maybe Jesus was coming back, you know, next Friday or something. And so he had that in his way of thinking in the worldview. I think there are different ways to think about that. For me, though, the thrust of what Paul is saying here makes total sense. Uh, our business is to be about love. That's it. If we excel in love our whole life, we're going to lead the best life that we possibly can and leave the world a better place. If we don't so excel on that, if we, as Monica Coleman said, hear the invitation to love and we say, eh, no thanks, well, okay. But you're robbing yourself and you're robbing the world and you're robbing God of the beauty that's possible. So that's the thrust, I think, of what we're getting at. Uh, Bruce Epperly riffs on this idea and he says, throughout the day, listen to others' deeply held beliefs. Hear the truths hidden in their, false, in their falsehood, in quotes, that you think is false, as you look for common ground. When you disagree, creatively challenge their beliefs without diminishing or judging them as persons. Do not succumb to the hate speech and derision characteristic of much social media communication. Speak your truth with love and respect and encourage continuing dialogue. Well, that's easy enough. How are you doing with this? How are you doing with this? Anybody need work like me? Now, maybe you're not guilty of uh, blurting things out loud, but in your heart of heart, hearts, anybody uh, on occasion uh, kind of walk around the room muttering, you know, about uh, certain Giants coaching staff or whatever, you know, <laughs> or even more important matters? Yeah, we all do. So it means that we're all in process. It means that we all have the opportunity uh, to do as David uh, took us through today, to dial into the thing that is always there for us. I know uh, Paul speaks to the Galatian church about the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control, and generosity is in there too. He speaks about all these things. These are the fruits. These are things that show up in our lives when we choose to be open to the very presence of God in our lives and choose to build on those things and lean into those things. You have a choice in this. And sometimes it's very difficult because you may be under incredibly painful and difficult situations. But remember, there is an invitation that loves you more, loves you most, in fact, that is surrounding you and is calling you forward to love, as hard as it is, for your sake. I don't know about you, but my experience is the longer I hold on to something, the longer it eats me alive. And you know what I've discovered, and this has certainly been shared in many books over many years, you know what happens to the other person when I hold on to that grudge? Absolutely nothing. Uh, so it is me eating the rat poison, hoping the other person gets sick. It's just not worth it. Life's too short. We don't know what the day is going to hold. We don't know what's coming tomorrow. We have this moment. Be here now. Tune into God. 
so that you may be fully immersed in and inspired by this one who has loved us so deeply. That's where the joy is. That's where the life is. That's where the magic happens. That's where we see beauty unfold. It's hard sometimes. And yet it's possible because we're not alone on that journey. So I want to spend a second just to be quiet, let you sort some things out and be still before God. Let God speak to you and then we'll, uh, we'll finish off with this and then we'll read another benediction uh, from Paul. So let's just be still for a moment. Close your eyes if you're comfortable with that. Otherwise, go into a soft gaze. And the whole point of right now is just to be still and just wonder, you know, how is God wooing you, luring you, calling you this morning? Is there anything going on in your life where some of what we talked about today is really relevant? And what are you going to do about it? So God, this week's readings uh, were entitled thematically, The Adventurous God. How true is that? And how uh, at sometimes frustrating that must be for you, Spirit of God, Spirit of love, when, when we just don't say yes. And you who loves us and all people so fully, Know what that sets us up for. It just keeps up the rat poison. It just keeps up the grudge. It just continues to wound us and others, but maybe mostly us. But that's part of the adventure, I guess. And this is the way it seems to be. This is the way that it is. And you're not leaving us, even when we choose to go otherwise. You just hit the reset button and figure out what is the next way to call us forward to love. But then I can only imagine the joy of when we see it and believe it and lean into this love that surrounds us and choose to walk in that way, saying yes to your call your woo, your lure, whatever that might be, your nudge. How wonderful that must be from your perspective to see how much more beauty enters into the world when we do. God, forgive us when we're part of the problem. Thank you for being a God who constantly, constantly is with us in loving, uncontrolling ways. Thank you for being with us as we say yes, encouraging us, giving us a little extra wind in our sails, and sometimes giving us the epiphany uh, to empower us through and, and on the other side being able to see the beauty that came because of it. It makes us want to do it again and again. Help us in this journey, this adventure with you, that we would be known as the beautiful people, the lovely people, 
who are doing everything they can to make this world a more lovely, beautiful place. Because that's our hope. And that's what we're going after. May it be so. To that end, God, we pray this prayer that you instructed us to pray. Our loving, supportive, holy Abba, your presence is here and everywhere. May your divine commonwealth come. May your will be done through us. We are grateful for the gift of food and work for all to eat their fill, especially with all this food in the air. Come on, man. Whew, that's good stuff. May we work for a world where mutual grace and respect abound. May we foster shalom everywhere. Strengthen us for the work to which we're called. Amen. May it be so. Consider the food blessed and hear this benediction from the Apostle Paul. I shared this uh, last week. May your dependably steady and warmly personal God develop maturity in you so that you get along with each other as well as Jesus gets along with us all. Then we'll be a choir. Not our voices only, but our very lives singing in harmony and a stunning anthem to the God and Father of our Master Jesus. That is beautiful. Thanks for being here. Let's eat.